Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, where we come to a, a very sobering, but I would say necessary passage. You know, we've been in Acts, and we've been studying and learning some very exciting truth that is, is really very, very uplifting. And then you come to verses 15 through 26, and honestly, as you read through it, it is much more serious, much more sober in, its, in what it evokes in us as we process the text. There are a couple of things that I want you to notice about this text that we need to be reminded of. And I, I would say in context of power today, uh, this is an important reminder for us, this, these verses in verses 15 through 26. That in the midst of God moving in power, there are things we need to keep in mind. Number one, we need to keep in mind that any move of God or work of God is a fulfillment of God's word. That God has promised to answer prayer, that God keeps his word. We're going to see in this passage where Peter says, listen, the word said this and God's word will be fulfilled. You're going to see it again in Acts 2. When people say, what is this? Peter says, this is the word of God that is being fulfilled. In the book of Acts, what you have is the fulfillment of God's promise to his people to meet them in power. That's the fulfillment of the word of God. So anytime you and I have a move of God, God is at work. God is keeping his word. God is fulfilling his word. Anytime people come forward for salvation, God is fulfilling his word. It, it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When people give their heart to Christ, it's God honoring his word. When miracles happen, when healings happen, it's God honoring his word. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. That's God keeping his word. When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's God keeping his word. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, Peter quoting Old Testament scripture, the prophet Joel says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, not a select few, but on all who would look to him and who would want that. God keeps his word. You see that in Acts chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So remember, they're in the upper room. Jesus has told them to wait until they receive the gift from the Father. They're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon them. In that room, there are the 11 disciples minus Judas, who, as we're going to learn, has hung himself. There's Jesus' mother Mary, Jesus' aunt, and some other women. There are other followers of Christ. In Luke chapter 10, he sent out 70, depending on your version, or 72 to pray for people. And some of those are there. There's Jesus' brothers are there. So there's 120 people. Peter, prompted by the Spirit of God, 
gets up and says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So he is setting the stage for them to replace Judas. Judas has passed away. Now they need somebody to take his place as one of the 12 disciples. So scripture must be fulfilled. So second thing I want you to notice, and, and it's this, it's not enough to see God work around us. We must allow God to work in us. One of the tragedies would be to be at James River to see all the people getting saved, to see all the people getting healed, to see God working in power, and simply to be a spectator instead of a participator. To have God working all over the place, but not have God working in us. That's a dangerous place. That's not God's intent. God's intent is that we would enter into what he's doing. That we would enter in personally and allow him to do his work in us. This passage gives us details on how Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, the one who betrayed Jesus, was with Jesus, was around Jesus, even was used by Jesus, but did not believe in Jesus. Because the passage in Acts 1 deals with Judas Iscariot, it might be helpful because different people have in this room, some don't know much about Judas at all, some know more about Judas, but to get us all on the same page, let me give you just a little background on Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 disciples called by Jesus. It's very, very interesting that 11 of the disciples were from a region in the land of Israel known as Galilee. It, was, uh, it had a lot of Gentile traffic because of trade routes, and so the Galileans were in many ways more secular than the Judean Jews to the south. Judea, the capital Jerusalem, the priests, the temple were there, and so they were considered probably theologically more well-trained, maybe a little bit more sophisticated. Judas Iscariot is the only one of the 12 that is from the land of Judea. He was called by the Lord. We find in Matthew chapter 10 and verse one, he called his 12 disciples to him, Judas was one of them, and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to cure every kind of disease and sickness. That includes Judas. Imagine this. Judas had an anointing upon his life. Judas was chosen to heal the sick. Judas cast out demons. Judas preached the good news of the kingdom. Judas was an apostle, a sent one. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle. Judas not only did miracles, but he saw miracles. He saw Jesus make the lame walk. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000. He saw Jesus feed the 4,000. He saw Jesus calm the storm. He saw Jesus raise the widow's son from the dead. He saw Jesus 
call Lazarus forth from the tomb after he had been dead for four days. He heard the parables. He heard Jesus teaching. He heard the Sermon on the Mount. He heard the parable of the prodigal son. He heard the parable of the sheep and the goats. He was there. He walked with God in the flesh. He talked with God in the flesh. And yet, Judas failed to believe in Jesus. And so, he betrayed Jesus. People ask, why did Judas betray Jesus? It wasn't greed. It wasn't for money, though he's going to take money from the priest to betray Jesus. That's not the motivating factor. It wasn't hypocrisy. The problem with Judas is he never believed in Jesus. You can hang around church and not believe in Jesus. You can see miracles and not believe in Jesus. Not have a saving faith in Jesus. Oh, you can believe he exists. You can believe he's a great teacher. You can believe that in his name there's power to do miracles. You can lay hands on the sick and they recover and still not have a saving faith in Jesus. John chapter 6 and verse 64. Yet there are some of you, this is Jesus speaking, who do not believe. What's happened here is the multitudes are leaving Jesus because he's given them a hard saying. He's talked to them about some things they don't understand, so they all split. He says to the 12, are you going to leave? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And Jesus responds, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. When people don't believe, when they persist in their unbelief, it will ultimately lead to turning from Jesus, betraying Jesus. In verse 70, we read this. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. Judas didn't become a devil when, when Satan filled his heart in John chapter 13. And he went out into the night and betrayed Jesus. Judas never believed. Judas persisted in his unbelief. Oh, sure, Jesus does miracles. Oh, sure, Jesus is very popular. But Judas sees Jesus as somebody to use. It's good for business. He sees Jesus as a means to a little extra income here and there because he robs from the treasury. He sees Jesus as a way to advance his future because, hey, he's the treasurer of the group. If he hangs out with Jesus and Jesus becomes king, then he has a good chance of being over the treasury. He could be very, very wealthy. Jesus, Judas sees Jesus through a, a lens of unbelief. And when you see Jesus through a lens of unbelief, you see Jesus as something to use, not someone to serve. That's Judas. It's a sobering thought to realize you can hang out with Jesus. You can hang out with his disciples and really not have a relationship with him. 
You see, I meet people and they say, well, you know, I go to church or, well, I do this, I do that. I know this person, know that person. I really enjoy this. I, uh, yeah, I know all about God. You know, listen, you can know all about him and not really know him. And you can go to this church or any other from now till the day you die and never make it to heaven. And you can be a good person and, and you can say nice things and still not really know Jesus. Still not have a relationship with him. You can pray for the sick. This is hard to imagine, but it's true. You can pray for the sick, have them healed, and never really know Jesus. Because what, what you're doing is you're using the authority of Jesus' name. And there is power in his name, even when somebody who doesn't know him uses it. Matthew chapter 7, listen to this, Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here's the issue. Does your life back up a, a testimony of faith? Is it obvious from the way you live that you know Jesus? With the people who watch you at work, who work with you, who are around you, who listen to you, would they say, he knows Jesus. She knows Jesus. Or would it be a surprise to them to find out that you were a Christian? Jesus says, only he who does the will of my Father is in heaven is the one who's going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? and perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never had relationship with you. You and I were never personally acquainted. You, you knew about me and I knew about you, but there was no relational friendship. There was no relational interaction. There was no personal relationship. Let me pause just briefly and encourage everybody relative to praying for the sick. Because, you know, a lot of times people get in this mindset of, well, I don't know if I have enough faith, which is a dead-end street for every single person to try to eva evaluate. Go ahead and pray for somebody, and you may find out that you had more faith than you realized. Because it doesn't take much faith. It only takes a, a mustard seed of faith if it's the real thing. But think of this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? People who didn't know Jesus in the name of Jesus did some amazing miracles. Think of that. If people who don't know Jesus in his name can do miracles, how much more should people who know Jesus in his name be able to do miracles? Amen. That should be very encouraging to everybody. Here's Judas, though. It's really hard to imagine how you can be exposed to so much light and still not believe. In Matthew 26 and verse 14, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and he asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You say, well, it seems he betrayed him for money. I mean, the fact of the matter is Judas did love money, but underneath that love of money is a root of unbelief. You see, when a person loves money, here's what they're saying. They're saying, I believe money's more important than God, 
or I believe money can make me happier than God, or I believe money can provide for me better than God, all of which betrays an attitude of unbelief. That God alone can satisfy the need of every human heart. That God alone deserves to have the first priority in our life. That God alone is worth more. His presence and having him is worth more than anything else in this life by a million miles. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up. He says the scripture has to be fulfilled regarding Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number, and he shared in this ministry. So here's Peter. He, he, he knows there's a problem that now Judas' slot among the apostles is empty. And he wants to, everybody to know that, that this didn't catch God by surprise. Judas' betrayal did not catch him by surprise. In fact, let me just say this on Judas. He did not have to betray Jesus. He could have believed. He had a choice. Just like today, everybody watching this message online, everybody at every single campus has a choice. We all get the opportunity to choose what we're going to do with Jesus. It is the most important decision anyone will ever make. What will you do with Jesus? Judas didn't have to choose to betray Jesus. He could have choose to believe. God in his foreknowledge knew what he would do. Look at it in verse 18, Acts chapter one. With the reward he got for his wickedness, so that 30 pieces of silver we read about, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. So he uses the money, he buys a field, and that is the place where he dies. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about it, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. Now Matthew in his account in the gospel record gives us additional insight. Matthew says this, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Let me make it clear, there's a big difference between feeling bad, having remorse, and being repentant. A lot of people feel really bad about their sin. They're just not willing to turn from it. A lot of people feel badly that things have worked out or that they haven't been faithful to the Lord or that this thing and that thing has happened, but they've never really turned to Jesus. Repentance is when a person turns to Jesus. Judas still has a choice here. He can feel bad and imagine this, run to the cross where Jesus is crucified. Can you imagine Judas at the foot of the cross asking Jesus to forgive him? It would have been for all time and eternity the greatest example of God's love and God's forgiveness. But instead, he's not repentant, he just feels bad. 
It says, and he returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and elders. He's trying to undo what he did. He's trying to say, you know, that wasn't good that I did that, so I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to give the money back. He's trying to make amends. Like a lot of people who feel like, well, you know what? I made a mistake over there, so I'm going to try to be really good over there, and that way God will be cool with me. It'll all be cool. That's not how it works. You and I can never make ourselves right with God through our own actions. We need a Savior to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Verse 4, we read this. He said, I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. You say, well, Acts 118 says he fell headlong and his body burst open and his intestines spilled out. So which is it? Did he hang himself or, or is Luke telling us what happened? Both are right. In a, in a tragedy, Judas takes his life, either the the tree limb breaks or the place where he'd hung the rope or the rope breaks and he falls and, and where he falls, his body's torn open and his intestines spill out on the ground. Matthew tells us this. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for the foreigners. They used Judas' money to buy the field. Therefore, in a sense, Judas is the one who bought the field. Are you with me? And that is why it's been called the field of blood. So here's Judas. He takes his life. Now I want to pause here for just a moment because... Um, Probably the most oft question I'm ever asked is, is if a Christian commits suicide, will they go to heaven? And that's a, uh, you know, when, when people ask that, my heart breaks for them and for the circumstance often that creates the question. Um, let me just kind of give you just a little bit of background um, regarding suicide. There are six suicides mentioned in the Bible. Actually, seven people committed suicide, but there are six occasions. Let me just quickly bring him up for you. Abimelech, um, he was a, a uh, son of Gideon. A half, he, had a, he had 70 half-brothers, and he was the result. He, he, Gideon and his concubine produced Abimelech, and if you read the story of Abimelech, he was one messed up dude. I mean, he killed 69 or 70 of Gideon's sons on one stone. It was human sacrifices, what's going on there. So he's, he is wild. He, he is uh, leading a group of evil men. They're going to attack a city. They've already killed uh, a lot of people in another city. And a, a lady throws a millstone over the top of the wall, lands on his head. He's not dead yet, but he says to somebody, hey, I don't want it said that a woman killed me, so run me through. So it would be an assisted suicide. Samson, remember, he, he's blind. He's entertaining the Philistines. He says to the servant, put, help me put my hands on the pillars of the temple. There are 3,000 people in this temple. And he says, you know, to God, let me die with them. And he 
He kills 3,000 Philistines in that move as he tears down the temple and he is, he is killed. But it's a suicide. He's saying, I, I want to die. I'm going to take my life uh, slaying the Philistines. Saul and his armor bearer, remember Saul has consulted a witch. Uh, it, it's going bad for him. He's got an evil spirit that is working him over continually. Saul's in battle against the Philistines. Uh, he sees he's surrounded. He sees he's not going to be able to make it. He asks his armor bearer to run him through. The armor bearer's like, I ain't doing that. So Saul falls on his sword. Um, it's an unsuccessful suicide. An Amalekite comes and uh, he kills Saul. And so that is a, an assisted suicide as well. Ahithophel, a friend of David's, um, rebels against David, helps Absalom in the rebellion. The rebellion fails, or Ahithophel can see it is going to fail. He knows he'll be in big trouble, so he goes home and hangs himself. King Zimri is a, is a king for seven days in Israel, and um, he had rebelled against the current king, had assassinated him. When the armies of Israel surround the palace, he burns the palace down with himself inside. And then there's Judas Iscariot. So it's a really, it's a, a sordid set of stories in many respects. Now back to the question of if a Christian commits suicide, can they go to heaven? Let me say this because I'm gonna give you an answer that may vary with your tradition or with what you've heard. There are some segments of Christianity that would say if a Christian commits, if, if anybody commits suicide, they're headed to hell on this basis. They would say that suicide is taking a life, which is murder. You've broken one of the Ten Commandments. Therefore, it's the last act of your life, and you go to hell for that because you didn't have a chance to repent. The problem with that thinking is this. When the Lord forgives us, he forgives us of all our sin, past, present, and future. You better pray to God he's forgiven you of every future sin because if not, if you're in a hurry and you run a, you run a red light and somebody hits you and you're taken out and you sinned, your last act was a sin. I mean, God's forgiveness covers our sin. So if somebody takes their life, there's nothing in the Bible that states if a person commits suicide, they're headed to hell. A person goes to heaven or goes to hell based on one thing alone, their relationship with Jesus Christ. Did they know him as their savior or did they not? That determines where every person will spend eternity. Now that having been said, my concern is that there are many either at our campuses or watching online, and you're struggling. Some of you have contemplated taking your life. Some of you know somebody in your home, in your family, in your close circle, who's contemplating suicide. You've talked them out of, the, out of it, but you're, you're worried about them. I wanna to say to you, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to suffer in silence. Here's what you need to know. You need to know your life has incredible value. That God has a plan for your life. That God loves you more than you can imagine. 
that God understands exactly where you're at and the Lord wants to help you and so do we. So what you need to do is you need to let people know where you're at. You need to tell. You can call the church. We'll, you know, there, there's a number of things that you can do, but it starts with saying, I need help on this. Doesn't mean you're weak. Doesn't mean you're wrong. Doesn't mean that it's all imaginary. There are reasons why people find themselves in that place where they feel life is not worth living and desire to take their life. But I'm just here to tell you that is not the answer. There is so much more. God can help you and we want to help you. And I just want to encourage you that he has a wonderful purpose for your life that is greater than you could possibly, possibly imagine. And so please, please, please don't suffer in silence. Don't be embarrassed to talk about it. Let somebody know so that we can help you. Amen. Go on, Acts chapter 1, verse 24, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And that's a quote of Psalm 69. That's saying, you know, this, it's a psalm on uh, betrayal by a friend. And, and David is saying, you know what, because of the way I've been betrayed, um, you know, Lord, in your judgment, you're, you're going to take care of that. And, um, and because of his betrayal, things will happen to those around him, which is whatever you and I do, people around us pay the price. Amen? And may another take his place of leadership. And so it's all also tragic, you know, and, and, uh, and I realize as I'm bringing you this message, I mean, uh, some of you are like, man, I came to be lifted up. Thanks, John. I mean, you know, we're talking about suicide. We're talking about Judas. We're talking about... And, you know, the fact of the matter is, I, I get what you're feeling because, hey, I studied it all week. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, I believe it's God's way of speaking to the hearts of all of us, those who don't know him, that they might know him, and those of us who do, that we might be prepared for what God wants to do in all of our lives. So in verse 21, we read this, therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they had three criteria for Judas replacement. Number one, they had to have been with Jesus from the beginning. They were to have seen the resurrection and the ascension. And number three, they would have to be chosen by God. We read this in verse 23. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. In other words, God, you choose. You chose the 11. You choose and make us whole as a group of 12. So we read this, verse 24, we just kind of pick it up. They were praying, asking God to help them to know who to do, who to choose, which Judas left, watch this last phrase here, which Judas, that's Iscariot, left to go where he belongs. 
That's an interesting phrase. Where did Judas go? Jesus said he went to the worst, place, worst part of hell. Jesus said, woe to the man who betrayed the Son of Man. It would have been better if he had never been born. Judas, what Peter is saying, Peter is saying Judas went to the place he belonged. Can I just pause long enough to say that hell is a place where people go who belong there. Now I realize that that's not what anybody wants to say or hear today. That flies in the face of a lot of contemporary theology. But Peter says, Judas went to the place he belongs. Death doesn't change anything. Death only makes permanent what was in our heart when we were alive. I mean, Judas went to hell. Why? Because he belonged there. Because that's where anybody who rejects Christ goes. If, if you didn't want anything to do with God in this life, then why would you even want to be in heaven in the next? You wouldn't like anything that's going on there. It's all about Jesus 24-7. My question really is this. Where will you belong in eternity? Will you belong in heaven? And if your answer is yes, why would you say that? Why will you belong there? You say, well, I've, I've been a good person. Well, I, I've, I've gone to church. I, I go, I go to this church or I go to some other church or I do this, I, I do that. The problem is no one is good enough to make it to heaven on their own, on their own merits. There's only one way a person ever goes to heaven and it's if they believe in Jesus and are born again. Think of this, Judas, he hung out with Jesus. He hung out with the disciples. He did miracles in Jesus' name. But he did not believe in Jesus. Therefore, he'll spend eternity away from Jesus. Judas was sent to hell because he belonged there. That's hard for us to grasp. But the fact of the matter is, his actions told the story. He could have gone to the cross. He could have asked for forgiveness. But Judas, here's what you have to understand. He was not interested in relationship with Jesus. It's interesting. He never calls Jesus Lord. He only calls him teacher. All Jesus was was a good teacher. He never saw him as God. He never saw him as, as worthy of worship. He only was around him because it was good for business. It was good for his future. It, 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 it gave, him, gave him community, but he never could buy in to personal relationship with Jesus. So he went to hell when he died because he belonged there. My question to you is, where do you belong? 
Peter says, Judas left to go where he belongs. Verse 26 says, then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, in the Old Testament, the casting of lots, and it's repeated multiple times in the Old Testament, is a way of discerning the will of the Lord. Usually what they would do is they would write, in this sense, probably they wrote uh, their names each on a little piece of clay or pottery, and, and then they would pull it out, and that would be the name that it would be. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 16, the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. In the Old Testament, it was God's way of revealing his will. But what's interesting to note is this is the last time in the Bible lots are ever cast. Why? Because starting in chapter two, the Spirit of God is poured out, and when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you can understand the will of the Lord. Paul makes that very clear in Ephesians chapter five. He says, um, you know, understand what the Lord's will is. Be filled with the Spirit. That when you're full of God, God then is directing you and speaking to you. We talked about it Wednesday night, about a spirit of revelation and wisdom so that you and I could know the will of God. But the idea of, of lots today is, is not how you and I discern the, the Lord's will. Because I'm going to tell you, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, I have firsthand experience with this. You say, what do you mean? Well, back when, when I uh, first met Debbie, uh, when Debbie and I, um, you know, we were 16 years old and, and I met her on my 16th birthday and, and uh, at the time I was not serving the Lord. And so I met her at a, at a church youth function. So I'd go there just to hang out and, and hang out with people, have fun. And I met her and found out she was moving uh, from uh, Michigan to Colorado. And, and so I told my sister after I met her that first day, I said, I'm going to date her. My sister said, no, you're not. And I said, what do you mean? She won't go off the guy like you. I said, what, why is that? She said, because you don't go to church. I said, well, <laughs> come on, I can go to church. I mean, I can. So what I did is I started going to church before she moved there so I could have a little track record built up. <laughs> so being good standing. You go to church? Oh, yeah, I've been going to church here for quite a while. Four weeks at least. So... <laughs> Anyway, the pastor, he'd meet me at the door and he'd say, John, you don't have salvation, you have galvation. So, <laughs> so anyway, we're dating and it doesn't take her very long. She can see the dude is not a Christian. She can see that. So she does what any godly, righteous, spiritually discerning person would do. She dumped me. So she's like, you're out. And I would just say, if you're dating somebody and they are not a believer, that is not a relationship God can bless. If it's meant to be, break it off. Let God do a work in their heart. You say, but how will they hear without me? Debbie did not even give that a thought. She, uh, she figured, hey, God will take care of him. And God did. I, started, I kept going to church. I ended up giving my heart to Christ. My life was, was really radically changed. And then I found out through the grapevine that Debbie was like interested in me again. So my brother, I have an older brother, he's 15 and a half months older than me, and, and he was like, you are not 
gonna go out with her, are you? And, and he said, I would never go out with her. You know, um, John, that, that's weak, that's, that's, you know, don't do that. And so he was trying to like shame me, but I was trying to decide, and now I'm a Christian, and so I decided, hey, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do lots, I'm gonna cast lots. <laughs> so I take a piece of paper and I write, yes. And then I take a piece of paper and I write, no. And then I put a glass over both of them. And I go like this. Lord, show me your will. I lift it up, look, and it's no. And I'm like, well, that can't be the will of God. So I put it back. I do it three times. It's no every time. So I decided I was going to ask her out anyway. Been married 39 years. It's working. <laughs> All that to say, don't cast lots. Okay, let's see, where was I? Okay, back to Acts chapter 1, verse 26. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. You know what? We don't know a lot about Matthias. Um, and that's not really important. What I would say is, this was a godly man, this was a good man. Eusebius, the third century historian, tells us he was one of the 72 sent out by Jesus in Luke chapter 10. We have a tendency to think that if we don't know something about someone, it's because they weren't like as worth knowing about as others we do know about, and that's not true. This was a faithful man, this was a godly man, this was a man who laid down his life for the gospel. This was a man, church history tells us, who died by having them push him off a cliff, throwing rocks at his head, and then before he was dead, they cut off his head. A violent death, but he lived for Christ. He was faithful, he followed Christ, and we'll meet him in heaven. I mean, he will be in heaven. Why? because he belongs there. He had relationship with Jesus. He lived for Jesus. His life proved he loved Jesus. Judas, tragically, on the other hand, will be in hell. My question for you, honestly, is this. Where will you spend eternity? Where will you belong for eternity? The answer is found in whether or not you believe in Jesus and have been born again. Let's pray.